How many of you ever had a sweet potato pie before? Raise your hand real high. <laughs> I don't remember if I ever have, but now I think I should look forward to it. Hey, we're in this series called Christmas Dynasty, and it's our little takeoff from Duck Dynasty for Christmas. And this series is a little bit different because instead of talking about gifts of Christmas or characters of Christmas, we're really looking at the line of Jesus, like what happened in his family line that led to his birth. And it encourages me because when I look at the lives of the people in the Bible and the people that were used in the life of Jesus to bring about the Messiah, I mean, there were a lot of misfits, a lot of dysfunctional uh, kind of individuals. We have Abraham who... Uh, God called and Abraham left his town and went to another area and Josh preached on that message and, and we learned that Jesus is, is for those who, who are disheartened, those who have a call from God and then he delivers them through a purpose and yet in the middle of that they find themselves even questioning that calling and Jesus is for them and we talked about Ruth in week two, God enabled this foreign woman, a Moabite woman. Uh, her people didn't even have faith in God, and God used her, and, uh, and now today we're going to talk about the life of David. And what we learn in David's life in 2 Samuel chapter 7, it says that the Messiah was going to come out of this royal family line of King David. And there are a lot of things about David I could have said. David was a hero. I could have said Jesus for the successful, or David had a heart for God, the Bible says. I could have said Jesus for the faithful. David made huge mistakes in his life, too, with Bathsheba and then the killing of her husband Uriah. I could have said Jesus for the sinful. Or, or when Nathan confronted David after his sin and David then had a humble and contrite heart, I could have said Jesus for the humble. But at Christmas time, I thought it was, as I read through the story of David, that one of the most important times of his life was the time when he was discouraged. So what we're going to talk about today is Jesus for the discouraged, because I see people at Christmas time who are either, either really on a high or they are really on a low. They are discouraged at this time of year. Maybe they lost a family member at some point in the last two or three years, and they look back and they miss that individual. Or maybe they're struggling internally with relationship challenges or financial challenges. And so I thought I would bring David's life into our life today as we talk about Jesus for the discouraged. And in 1 Samuel chapter 21 is where we're going to really start. We're going to jump around a little bit in 1 Samuel today, but let me give you a little context. So here's what's going on in David's life. He grew up faithful to God. He defeated Goliath. You know that story. He was anointed by Samuel uh, to be the next king of Israel. He was employed by King Saul, and we, we know that story. People wrote songs about him. He was a great military leader. Everything David touched turned to gold. He was on his way to the palace. He was going to become king. And then something happened. And one by one, all those wonderful things that he had looked forward to, they began to kind of fade away for a period of time. Started with his job. He had been promoted to, from a shepherd boy to a court musician to a warrior to the most successful officer in the army of Israel. But his leader Saul became jealous of him and he basically threw a spear at him one day right Josh and I haven't had a lot of conflict but if we did I don't think I'd ever throw a spear at him you know I mean that would be that'd be really a bad thing but Saul came after David threw a spear at him David ended up then losing that position for that time next he loses his wife 
because he had married Saul's daughter, Michael, and then one day Saul sent his soldiers to David's home in an effort to kill David. Michael helped David escape, but she was taken by Saul. Ultimately, he had her marry somebody else, another man. So now David lost his job. David lost his wife. He flees to a town called Ramah where Samuel lives. And remember, Samuel was David's mentor. He was the one who anointed David. And David went to find a safe place in him, but no matter how far David ran, King Saul, because of his jealousy of David, was going to run after him. And so Samuel didn't provide a lot of refuge, and Samuel was old, and Samuel ends up dying. So in just a few, uh, a, a short period of time, David loses his wife, his job and position, he loses his mentor. Well then, he decides to go to his best friend Jonathan, and Jonathan loved David more than he loved himself, and besides Samuel, this was the person David was closest to, and we pick up the story in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 10, and it says, That day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath, because even Jonathan could not house him. Jonathan would not take his own father's life. So here David is. He's so desperate, he is fleeing to the king of Gath. And if you remember where that Philistine came from, the Goliath, he came from Gath. It's so bad for David, he's now heading to the town of his enemies. So that's where David's going. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1, uh, David then left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. This is now a man escaping uh, the palace. He's lost friends. He's in a uh, difficult situation. He's lost his job, his security. All that is gone now, no money, no home, no job, no advisors. And he goes and ends up in the cave of Adullam. And here's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to ask you if any of you have ever been in a cave. And I'm not talking about a cave physically. I'm talking about a cave spiritually. Some of us have visited and spent some adequate time there, if you know what I mean. Some of us today are cave dwellers. The cave is where you end up where all hope is stripped away. The cave is where you end up where you thought you were going to do great things for God. And now it is clear that things aren't working out the way that you had dreamed. And, and some of you today find yourself kind of stuck in a cave, whether it be financial or relational pressure, or maybe your relationship with God you feel like is non-existent. For whatever reason, you are in this cave of discouragement, and that is where David is. And one of the scariest places to be is in a cave. A few years ago, many years ago, we went to Mammoth Cave uh, with our family. I was going to go on an eighth grade trip with our honor society, but I missed it by one-tenth of a point in eighth grade. They wouldn't let me go, you know, to Mammoth Cave. So I ended up having to wait and go with our family. I'm not bitter about that at all or anything. But uh, we ended up going with my family several years ago. And you've taken that trip, and you go in, in the middle of it, they say, oh, this is uh, what's going to happen. We're going to turn off the lights, and you're going to see how dark it actually is. And Boy, they turn off those lights. You can't see anything. You can't even see your hand in front of your face. And, and all of a sudden, the longer it goes, Funny things start to happen in your mind. Darkness causes people to wonder, am I really alone? I know people are here, but I'm not sure. My ears are now picking up on things that I didn't notice before. Your imagination starts to run wild because caves are a dark place. And when you find yourself in this cave of discouragement like David was, your mind can do funny things, your imagination run wild, runs wild, and it is the voice of the enemy that we hear in our ear, hey, listen, God has lost track of you. There's no way he'll remember you in here. He can't hear you. He can't see you. He doesn't care about you. 
you're all alone in this cave. And sometimes it's tempting to listen to Satan's words when we're in the cave of discouragement. Now, there's no real chronology here, but as best as we can be uh, learned from the text, there's about 10 years of his life where David is in the wilderness or in the cave or on the run as a fugitive, about 10 years. David ended up, because he's a leader, banding together with about 400 men, the Bible says. And this is some of the most discouraging, uh, most discouraging group of ragtag guys ever. Kind of a refugee camp, kind of like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer at the Island of Misfit Toys. They end up going together. But they end up, in this band of misfits, raiding an, a village, uh, uh, going to, to, to try to uh, raid a village and until one day they came home and they found that their own village and the village of Ziklag had been destroyed. Their wives, their children had been taken captive. I'm talking about David now. And scripture says that David and his men wept until they didn't have any strength left to, to weep. You ever been there? They were cried out. But for David, it gets worse. These men had become so angry because they had lost their, their families had been taken from them that they started to blame their leader, David. And so now David, in this real discouraging time, now even his men are against him. And here's a critical verse, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. It is really the key verse of this entire day. And I'm going to read it in the King James Version today. And David was greatly distressed. Why? Because of all of what had happened. Why? Because his, the families had been taken. His men were against him. For the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Did you hear that? David encouraged himself. Another version says David refreshed himself in the Lord his God. David found strength. David was strengthened. David was encouraged. And some of you need this verse this Christmas season. David encouraged himself. In the Lord his God. So what I want to do for a few minutes is just kind of walk you through some of these stories a bit. And what I want to do is just give you some kind of tips, pointers, when you are discouraged. And here's the first one. I think the first thing we need to do when we are discouraged is just, just tell God about it. I mean, it's okay to be open with God about how you're really feeling. Listen to Psalm 142, verse 1 and 2. This psalm is attributed to David, and it actually begins with this tagline at the top. A masculine of David when he was in the cave. So this is a psalm of David when he was in the cave of discouragement. I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out my complaint before him. Before him I tell him my trouble. You know, historians tell us that the psalms have a lot of different kind of psalms. Songs of joy, uh, songs of uh, contrition, psalms of contrition. But there, this one is a psalm of lament. And psalms of lament are one of the most popular psalms. This is a psalm where David just opens up to the Lord and says, God, I've got an issue right now. I have a problem, and I want to tell you about my problem. And he is so discouraged that he's just complaining to the Lord. And here's what we learn from God. God's shoulders are big enough to handle David's complaints. Amen? And he is big enough to handle your complaints as well. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of chronic complainer that some people just are. It seems like they are never happy. Like the guy who had a neighbor, he was a farmer, 
he was just never impressed by anything. He's such a discouraging guy. So this guy, uh, his neighbor, got the world's greatest hunting dog, and he traded to do some amazing things just to impress this discouraging, complaining neighbor. Taught his dog to sniff scents from miles away, sit and point for an hour without moving a muscle. And one day, he invited his farmer buddy over to go hunting. They go, and this dog just does remarkable things. But the farmer never says a word. And finally, they're in a duck blind, and the guy shoots a duck, lands in the middle of the pond. He sends his dog out, and the dog goes out and walks on water, fetches the duck between his teeth. It's not really a true story, but he walks with the duck off the water to the duck blind and drops it at his master's feet. And the farmer looks over at the guy with his arms all folded, and he says, that beats all I ever saw. Your dog can't even swim, can it? And I just know people like that, don't you? People like, no matter what happens, it seems like they are always discouraged. And friends, I'm not talking about the chronic complainer. I'm talking about when you were in seasons of discouragement, that God can handle your complaints. But friends, I want you to know this. God is not a God of discouragement. When you have a discouraging spirit, understand that is not from God. While God does allow painful things to happen, while he does allow challenges to happen in our life, discouragement is how we respond to those challenges. God is not the author of discouragement. We are. And I want to share with you something that is so basic and so practical, but it's so life-changing if you apply it. As a general rule, if you walk closely with God, if you have his sense of being in the presence of God on a daily basis, you will find that problems begin to lose their ability to damage your spirit. The closer you walk to God, it seems like, to me, The closer I walk to God, the more I spend that daily time, the more that I find myself in encouraging moments. But friends, if you're discouraged, I would just say, man, first, just tell God about it. Uh, The thing that I want, one of the things I want most for my kids is just an honest, open relationship. If they struggle, I would love to know it. If they're happy, I would love to know it. If they're discouraged, I would love to know it. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? Just tell me how you're doing. Tell me how your day is going. And friends, God's the same way. And if you want to be encouraged, just tell God about it. Here's the second one. Take a positive action step. One of the things we tell people who are in times of depression or discouragement is do the things that your mind is telling you, I don't want to do. Your mind's telling you, I don't want to be with people. Go be with people. Your mind's telling you, I don't want to bake Christmas cookies bake Christmas cookies. Do something with your hands. Do something you're good at that will encourage you. And in 1 Samuel 30, we learn that David takes a positive action step. Verse 7, it says, Then David said to Abathar the priest, the son of Elimelech, uh, Bring me the ephod. Abathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party and overtake them? This is the party that had destroyed their village. Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. And here's what's going on. David was going before the Lord to find out what he should do. And so he has the ephod brought before him and says, I want to take this and I want to learn from the Lord. Some of you are wondering, what's an, what's an ephod? What, do they sell those? Could I put that on my Christmas list? Can I get those at Walmart? They, we don't know a lot about them. But apparently they were objects the priest would use as kind of a symbol of God's presence when they were seeking his will. And David was doing something positive. That's my point. 
Sometimes people get stuck in the cave discouragement because they don't devote time or energy that they need to do something positive in their life. They're waiting for something outside, some circumstance to change. And when that circumstance changes, then they'll be encouraged. Friends, I'm telling you today, a lot of times your circumstance will not change, but your attitude can. And maybe it involves your job or a financial life or a sin you struggle with or a relationship. What is that area in your life that you're struggling with today? And the options are not easy. And it's easy to be discouraged, but I'm telling you, if you climb out of that, one of the best ways to do that is to take a positive action step. Move toward a positive step. So maybe God today is calling you to write a letter to a family member that you are estranged with as a positive action step. Maybe some of you in your marriage today, God is calling you to do something servant-minded to your spouse so that they will know that you care. Maybe some of you, God is calling you to extend a hand of grace and forgiveness. Maybe God is calling some of you today to do something with an employer that would encourage someone, maybe your boss or a coworker, that you need to encourage. The options are not always easy, but a positive action step helps. And friends, here's the third one. Here's something I've learned. That when you're discouraged, it is very easy to be tempted when you are in seasons of discouragement. And this is the story in 1 Samuel 24 where David, guess where he is again? David's back in a cave. And Saul is now sending 3,000 men against David to kill him. And so David escapes to a cave with his band of merry men. And there they are. And guess what? Saul comes in, and the Bible is very open about this. Saul is going into the cave to relieve himself. Men, you've been there before? You know what I'm saying? And so he's going in the cave to relieve himself. And David sees that he's there. And guess what happens? Saul goes in the cave to relieve himself. And David is there with his men. And guess what David's men say? They say, David, this is your opportunity. Kill Saul now. Get rid of this. You can can no longer be discouraged. You can defeat Saul. And so David slipped over and he cut the edge of Saul's robe off without him realizing And then he went back with his men, but then suddenly he was convicted by that. He said, how could I do something against the the one that God has called to be king? And he was convicted by that. And so here David is in the cave, and the temptation was, I think I can skirt all of what God has called me to do. I think I can jump right to being king right now. I can just forget God's plan for my life, and I can go ahead and jump ahead. It was a real temptation for David. And here's what I've learned, is that when you are discouraged, it is very easy to be tempted, very easy to be open to temptation. And I want to share with you some serious words right now. Some of you are in a cave. You're in a discouraging place for whatever reason, and there is this shortcut to what you believe will be relief, and it's tempting to you. I believe that some of you are there today. And the whole reason that God brought you here today is to hear this 60 seconds because you have a decision to make. Will you submit to God's will? Maybe you feel so alone because you've been single for a long time or your marriage is in the wilderness and there's another relationship that promises closeness and it's tempting and you think this is so available. And then you realize that shortcut's what God wants. It's not God's will for your life. And the question that your future plans are really resting on, will I face that temptation with strength? Maybe you face a temptation that's financial. Maybe you're facing a temptation to deceive someone or somebody. Maybe it's a temptation to ignore a pattern of behavior within your own life that is sinful or addictive. 
Maybe it's a temptation to quit something when you know God is calling you to endure and it would just feel good to quit and forget about it. Friends, I, re- I believe that in moments of discouragement, it is so easy to be tempted because one of the things that we learn from David is that he refuses in that moment to take the life of Saul and he teaches us a good lesson when you were in the cave of discouragement. Resist temptation with strength. And here's the last one. The last one for me is when you get to that moment, you've taken a positive action step, you've told God about it, you've resisted temptation, and sometimes you are so deep in that cave, you do not know where, you, where to go or what to do. And really, I don't want to oversimplify this, but rely on God. Read the book of Psalms sometimes. And just read the words of David, and see it just expresses over and over again this deep dependence on God. And some of you, you're in a cave and with work, and you think with God's help and bold action and pure life, I can get out of this. But sometimes you're in a deep peace that's so deep that all your efforts have seemed futile. You cannot fix it. And in that moment, all you can do is say, God, I don't know what else to do but just to simply rely on you. And the, da- the word that David uses over and over and over again in the Psalms is this. God, when I cannot get myself out of this, I will not let go of you. I will find my refuge in you. I will trust in you. I will rely on you as the ultimate strength of my life because, God, I have nowhere else to go. Something else I learned in the cave, in Mammoth Cave, is that when you're underground, the, the, the temperature is constant. About 56 degrees year-round. doesn't matter how wide, how narrow, how shallow, or deep. All stays about the same. Not too cold, not too hot. And I'm reminded... But that's a good, a good example, the presence of God. The Bible says Jesus is the same yesterday and forever. He is never changing. He is constant. His presence provides a light that offers hope and healing and comfort. And, 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 and even when that light sometimes seems dim, God is not far away. Remember that story of Peter in the New Testament where God called him in the middle of darkness? And he said, Peter, I want you to walk on the water. Peter said, if it's you, God, I want to come out to you, Lord. And the, Jesus says, come on out. Jesus is walking on the water. Peter gets out of the boat. He starts to walk on the water. And as long as what? As long as he keeps his eyes on Jesus, what happens? He's walking on the water. But as soon as he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he puts them on his circumstances around him, he begins to sink. What changed? Friends, Jesus didn't change. Jesus stayed the same. Jesus was still walking on the water. But when Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, even though Jesus never moved, Peter started to sink. Because why? Because he put his attention on his circumstances instead of on Christ. The change was in Peter. Jeanette Strong one time wrote, when my son was a toddler, washing his hair was always a problem. He would sit in the bathtub while I put shampoo in his hair. And then when I poured the water to make it lather, he would tip his head down until the shampoo would run in his eyes, cause pain and tears. I explained that if he would just look straight at me, he could avoid getting that shampoo in his face. And he would agree. And then as soon as I started to rinse his hair, his fear would overcome his faith and he would look down again. And naturally the shampoo would run down into his face and there would be more tears. And one of our, during one of our sessions, while I was trying to convince him to lift up his head and to trust me, I suddenly realized how this situation was like my relationship with God. I know God is my Father. I know He loves me. I believe and I trust Him. But sometimes in a difficult situation, I panic. I turn my eyes away from Him 
and the shampoo blinds me. And friends, when you live in a cave, when you're discouraged, it's easy to look down and to take your eyes off the master. And when you do, something happens. It's normally not our circumstance that changes because God is constant. What changes is us. If we keep our eyes on Jesus, what changes is us. Our countenance is lifted. When we lose hope, it gives birth to discouragement and everything grows dark. That's why Isaiah 51.6 says, Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. Its inhabitants die like flies. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail. Isaiah 51.6 You know, when I think about caves, there's a few of them in the Bible. When we were in Israel in 2011, we went to a place that wasn't the cave, but it was a cave, and our guide said that this is typical of a house in Bethlehem. That it wasn't a manger, I mean, it wasn't a stable um, it was a manger, but it wasn't a stable, a wood-type stable like we see in our nativities. That it was actually a cave, kind of dug out of the ground. And when you would go into the cave, there would be the family and go into another part of the cave, and there would be the animals. And more than likely, that's the kind of place that Jesus was born. And I'm reminded that Jesus was born in a cave, but not just that. I'm reminded that when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross and they pulled him down off the cross that Joseph of Arimathea gave him something. And when I was in Israel, they showed us a place that would be similar to the tomb that Jesus was was buried in. And it was dug out of the ground. And in that cave, Jesus Christ was laid. God understands something about caves. He spent three days in one himself. Jesus suffered just like us. The son of David had everything stripped away from him. Lost his position as a teacher. Lost his security. His friends abandoned him. He lost the adoration of a cheering crowd. His life was threatened by his enemies. He hung on a cross and left for dead. They placed his body in that, in that cave. They thought he was finished. But what they didn't understand and what you need to understand today is that God does some of his best work in caves. Caves are where God encourages. Caves are where God takes care of doubts. Caves are where God strengthens you. Caves are where God gives you the ability to grow in your faith. Caves are the place where ultimately God provides resurrection if you will allow him. So I'm talking today to people that may be like David, that find themselves in a cave of discouragement. But thanks be to God, he doesn't leave us there. Amen. He gives us hope. And Christmas is a lot about hope. Christmas is a lot about Jesus coming in a cave. Jesus is a, Christmas is a lot about Jesus living a sinless life, dying an atoning death, being laid in a, in a cave for three days, and resurrecting once again to remind us that all of us can also be resurrected from our discouragement at this time of year in our lives. God, we thank you. For loving us, thank you for the word of God that teaches us. And God, thank you that even when we are discouraged, even when it's seasons uh, like this where there's a lot of joy, 
There's a lot of happiness. There's a lot of singing. There's a lot of time together. But God, there's also feelings of loss. There are feelings of discouragement. And so God, I pray that we would just tell you about it. God, here's our complaint. Here's our issue. That we would take some positive step in our life. Do something that would help another person. That would serve somebody else. That would take our eyes off of ourselves and our circumstances. That we would resist temptation. That we would stay faithful to you, God, even in the midst of being discouraged. Don't listen to the enemy's lies. And God, also then that we would rely on you. That there's those, just those moments where, God, we just we say, I don't have any strength left, God. I just need you in my life. I need, I need to rely on you totally, wholly. So God, we pray for that today as we worship you. In the name of Jesus, our